Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. A better business starts with planning for profit. Download our free course, Profit for Small Firm Architects, at entrearchitect.com slash free course. It's free. Entree Architects Podcast, episode 147. Welcome back to the Entree Architect Podcast. My name is Mark Arlapage, and this is the podcast dedicated to a successful life as a small firm architect. Whether you have plans to someday start your own firm, whether you're in the process of launching a startup or you might be an experienced small firm architect just trying to make a difference, this podcast is for you. My goal is to inspire you to build a better business so that you may pursue your purpose with passion and live the life of your dreams. It's profit, then art. And I'm, I'm sure you've heard me say this before on this podcast. I say it over and over and over again, right? Profit, then art. Because in order to be a better architect, we must first be better business people. We, we need to build better businesses. This week, I'm speaking with an author of a book called Profit First, a simple system to transform any business from a cash-eating monster to a money-making machine. That sounds good, right? It's an important conversation for many of us to hear. Accounting can be overwhelming and often complicated, and it's difficult to understand, right? So sometimes we don't even do it. In this episode, you'll learn a simple step-by-step process that will guarantee that you'll be profitable. Yes, I said guarantee. 
This week at Entree Architect Podcast, how to build a profitable architecture firm with author Mike McCallowitz. This episode of Entree Architect Podcast is sponsored by True Style, the leader in high-end residential interior doors. Learn more at truestyle.com and Tanglewood Conservatories, combining the romanticism of 19th century glass architecture with state-of-the-art technology of today. Learn more at tanglewoodconservatories.com. Mike McCallowitz, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Mark, thanks for having me here. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's awesome having you here. I'm a business book junkie. <laughs> and so to uh, to have a business book author on the show, actually, you're the first business book author on the show. What? So what? Uh, congratulations. And oh, that's welcome. cool. Yeah. 147 episodes. I've been talking to a lot of architects and uh, architectural consultants, but but no business books. So maybe uh, this will be the first of many. Yeah, hopefully. And uh, maybe it'll, it'll introduce a different perspective um, from what you've been hearing. Yeah, so. that's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping to yeah. sort of break out a little bit and, and start talking to some other industries and other industry people. So um, you're an author, as you may have gathered. Um, you're the uh, the author of The Toilet Paper Entrepreneur, The mm -hmm. Pumpkin Plan, Profit First, which is uh, the book that I discovered you with. Mm. Um, and in doing some research, I just learned that you purchased, you know, that you, uh, that you started, you've launched, launched, a, new launched a new book, which I just, yeah. just bought and is on my list on audible. So, uh, I'll get to that as soon as I finish my Hamilton, the Hamilton <laughs> biography, Oh, cool. cool. <laughs> which is taking a while, which is really good, but, uh, it's taken a long time to get through it. Uh, but you're next on the list. So we'll, we'll get to there. Mm, uh, thank you. So I'm looking forward to that. And you're a Jersey boy. I'm a Jersey boy too. So, uh, I, I grew up in, in Paramus, New Jersey, and my parents are still there. And uh, we were talking a little bit off the air before we started here. And you live in you live in the same town as my cousin. So, yeah, uh, isn't that funny? Yeah, yeah, small world. Yeah. So, and and you're a, a friend to architects. Uh, after learning about you, I think I I originally bumped into you online, probably Twitter or yeah. Facebook. Yeah. But then I also heard you on a bunch of podcasts when Profit First came out. Oh, um, awesome! I'm a big fan awesome. of Mike O'Neill. Um, oh, he's yeah, he's a he's a hoot. Yeah, and and um, I was a member of his uh, coaching coaching as uh, solo lab for a little while, and mm. uh, and I, I when you were promoting um, Profit First, I heard you on some other other podcasts, and and I loved not only the 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 way you presented the book, you know, really down to earth, uh, but the message that that book. Uh, presents profit first. Mm, it's a message that that uh, is something that I constantly drilling into my audience. I'm, mm. One of the mantras I have is is profit then art. So focus yeah. first on the business, and that will let you then do the art that you want to do. And so we'll get into that. I want to get into mm -hmm. into the book, into how how some of the things that you te you teach in that book can help with the architects. But before we do that. I want to get into your origin story, which is what I usually do with, with guests on the show. Mm -hmm. I'd love to know sort of your background, where you came from, how you got to writing books, um, and then we'll roll from there. Sure. So a uh, Jersey guy my whole life, uh, came out of college. First job was in uh, at a computer store. And um, I remember working there for a couple of years, not even, maybe about a year and a half, talking with another guy over beers one night. I'm like, what, what am I doing working for the man? You know, I remember thinking that the boss just sat in the back room counting money as I hustled out front trying to sell stuff. 
and said, I'm going to start my own business in computers. And so that's what I did. Um, and then, you know, day one in that new business, I realized, oh, oh, he doesn't just sit back there and count money. You know, <laughs> he's actually like managing a business and trying to stay afloat. And if sales are down, he's got to scramble to get sales back up. Like I, I didn't appreciate the, the millions of things that are required to run a business. So my first introduction to business was trial by fire. It was terrifying. Um, and it took me quite a few years of doing that to ultimately fall in love with entrepreneurship. But I, I do appreciate the fear stage of starting a business. I, I suspect many of your listeners go through this or are, are going through this. When you're the solo guy, when you're the only person doing it, uh, you only eat what you kill and that the fear keeps you going. So it was getting me up at five in the morning and working till midnight and repeating that over and over again because I had to. There was no other choice. But then you know, I had kind of a turning moment. Uh, I started to love the concept of entrepreneurship and started you know, digging into books and, and studying it and discovering the art of entrepreneurship. Um, that business I subsequently sold to private equity, a small um, investment group bought it. And then my second business was in computer crime investigation. That was a, a rocket ship uh, company. I, I, it just took off, right place, right time. We actually helped facilitate uh, part of the Enron trial uh, ex uh, uh, the the fraud examination with computers there um, some we did Christy Brinkley's divorce like we got some of these high-profile cases because we we're in the right place this is in uh, early 2000s like 2003 2004 when uh, computer evidence was becoming extremely relevant to cases and um, that was acquired by a fortune 500 uh, but then the, uh, and I, I feel other businesses too but th those are kind of the CV kind of bullet points below there is the struggles uh, that I think a lot of people don't talk about, but all of us face it. So I think it's, that's even the more interesting part of my origin is uh, after selling my second company, I, I thought it was God's gift to entrepreneurship. Like I, I knew everything I had. I was, I really did think I had the Midas touch and went on a spending spree in just my own nonsense, buying stuff for myself, cars and big house and stuff, but, uh, all unnecessary stuff, excess, but also became an angel investor. And I now call myself the angel of death because <laughs> every business I killed, I mean, I, I sucked at it. And I, I, uh, while I never declared bankruptcy, technically I achieved that level. I, I ran out of money. I couldn't pay debtors. Uh, I then struggled, uh, just to pay off my debts slowly but also it re-ignited uh, a fire in me to discover entrepreneurship uh, the right way this time, not just the, the, what people see from the outside, like, oh, an entrepreneur, you know, they're wealthy and you can do what you want to do. I discovered there's a lot more to it, and I wanted to discover how to live a life that satisfies us and that's sustainable and where there isn't this panic, day-to-day -day stress, uh, constantly this panic to sell, how do we do that? And so I, I started writing books first really quite frankly to solve my own challenges. And then it became a, a full-time career for me is I'm an author full-time now. What writing. inspired you to, to do that? I mean, what, what, I mean, just, was it because you loved business books and said, Hey, I could do that too. Or was there something specific that inspired you to, to write that first book? Cause it's a big, it's a big thing to do. It is pretty big. I, it's, um, I hit rock bottom. I lost all my money. And I started, a friend of mine said, Mike, you should start journaling. Cause I went through depression for two years from 2006 to 2008. I was in what's called functional depression. And, uh, I was talking to a, a, a great friend of mine 
And he said, uh, you got to start journaling to vent out stuff. And quite frankly, a journal is a guy's term for a diary. Like, right. Right? Make a diary, right? Yeah. So I started a diary. And it was a little bit embarrassing, I felt, to do this, that I didn't have the strength or courage just to fight through this to start writing about my problems. But that is actually what inspired the book. I started writing problems, and then I started writing solutions, saying, oh, I, I noticed I, I do this pattern. Like, Profit First came out of my pattern of logging into my bank account, seeing how much money's there, and spending what I had. Like, that's how I ran my business. And I said, well, how can I work with this? And uh, I started writing my own answers to my own problems, and that's what started the books. Um, and I guess I was always an avid reader of books. I still am. I love reading books. I got two for my plane ride, not that I'm taking a flight tonight. I don't. I doubt I'll get through two, but I love just to be jumping between books and discovering new things and just love to be part of that culture. Yeah. Yeah, I, I read a paper book and I listen to an audio book at the same time. Mm. Oh, that's awesome. Because it's it actually, I think it's two different parts of your brain because it's I don't mix them up. If I try to read two books at the same time, I start mixing them up. Oh, really? But if yeah, I do one audio and one reading, I have no problem with it. That's interesting. That's interesting. Um, you know, it was, a friend of mine told me an amazing thing about books. I asked him, I said, what, what book should I read next? Like, what do you recommend? And he came back with, I mean, it's a question that, that no one's ever said before. He said, well, what's the biggest challenge you're facing now? That's the book you should read, the book that solves that. And I always thought, oh, I should just read whatever book is popular, whatever, you know, Amazon presents to me and stuff. And then I've had, I've enjoyed that. But when I started focusing on books that that tackle my biggest problem, I get super engaged. Cause I'm like, yeah, yeah, this speaks to me. This is what I'm living right yeah. now. Yeah, I, I, I do similar things. Cause actually, when I was younger, I, I would I read everything. You know, I just mm -hmm. I just love to read it. And then as I got older, I realized that my time was worth more. Yeah. That you, as you get older, your time tends to yes. compress, and yes. you realize that time is really valuable. And so I don't want to spend time on things that really aren't going to improve me or make my life better or make my family's life better or my business better. So I do, I focus on the things that, that are really going to let me apply what I'm reading and, and, and make it, you know, uh, make my life better. Yes. Agreed. And profit first was one of those books. And I think that, that I'd love to talk about that because, um, you know, profit then art is something that this audience has mm. heard over and over again from this right. voice. Um, because architects tend to, to feel that they're artists and they are. Sure. They, they are. They most certainly are. Um, and, and there's sort of this traditional thought that if you just do great architecture, the phone will ring. You know, right. and that you don't have to worry about the business. Just keep doing great architecture and the business will take care of itself. And, right. and that's not the way business works. Architects are, are businesses. Architecture firms are businesses and, they need, and there are rules to business. Um, and one of the rules is that you need to be profitable. You know, you, yes. you have to have profit. Um, but what I loved about Profit First is that it's a simple step-by-step -step process that you can go through um, and just apply what you've written in the book and it will work, that you'll end up profitable at the end of the year. Mm -hmm. um, I'd love to, let's, let's dive into that a little bit. Let's start with the fact that most of us, if we're doing any sort of accounting at all, we are following the, the uh, what is it called? The, the gap system, the generally yes. accepted accounting principles, right? Yes. And you're sort of saying that's great, but that doesn't really work for most small businesses. And here's a right. different way to do it. Right. And, I, and I think it's a lot about mindset, right? That it's, it's much deeper than what I do. I say just focus on profit, you know, because yeah. right now we're not focusing on profit. So let's focus right. on profit. So that's the first step. But then you take it much deeper and say, okay, let's, let's actually put together a system, that, a simple system that we can actually right. use 
and, uh, and be more profitable at the end of the year. So can you go through some of how that works? Yeah, I'd love to. It, you know, what I found it boils down to is our behavioral wiring, that there's certain behaviors that we, that many uh, business owners follow. And what GAP teaches us is to actually use a logical system that's often counter our natural behaviors. And when it comes to logic versus behavior, behavior wins almost all the time. Uh, it's logical not to smoke. I, you can ask any smoker about that. They all know that, but the behavior supplants that logic. You know, we shouldn't eat that food tonight. We should really pass on dessert logically. You know, one dessert's not going to hurt us. That's a behavioral response. And what I noticed when it came to finances, uh, Gap tells us a, a foundational formula, which actually is totally counter what what we want to achieve from a behavioral aspect. In Gap which stands for generally accepted accounting principles. Gap tells us that first you have sales, then you subtract expenses and the remainder is profit. Uh, so sales minus expense equals profit. It's the foundational formula of gap. The problem with that is when we put something last, profit, it is our behavior to disregard or ignore what comes last. It's like um, it's like if you, if you went to the hospital because you were sick and you come out of the hospital and that you're not gonna ever say, now I put my health last. No, you say I put my health first. So first means prioritized, last means disregarded. Um, one story I like to tell is I, I, perhaps I was the worst athlete in grade school of all time. And uh, our teacher, our gym teacher made us play kickball. And I was literally so bad that the teacher would put the kickball on home plate. He wouldn't pitch it. He would put it on home plate for me to kick it. And I would still strike out. <laughs> and uh, and what the... <laughs> And the result was when the captains had to pick the kickball team, I was always the kid picked last. And what that says is when we don't want something, the one we don't want is the last. It's forced upon us. And the problem is that that's how profit's treated. You know, I, I go to my accountant at the end of the year and say, hey, was there any profit this year? Like literally at the end of the year, one time I'd say, was there any profit? No, maybe next year. You know, good luck next year. Um, so I then said, okay, what works with our existing behavior? Well, when something comes first, it gets prioritized. So the core principle of profit first is to take your profit first. And what I mean is every time a deposit comes in, every time any money flows into your business, I don't care if a dollar gets deposited today or $10,000 or somewhere in between, take a predetermined percentage, 5%, 10%, maybe 15, but take a predetermined percentage for profit and immediately take that money out hide it away so you're not tempted to, to steal or borrow from it and run your business off the remainder. And this little shift in thinking, it's the pay yourself first principle that we've been told to do in our personal lives. It's now applied to business and it's been a game changer. We know of, of roughly 30,000 businesses that are now doing this Mark and all of them that adhere to the system I've achieved higher levels of profit. They're, they're all more profitable than they ever were in the past by simply taking their profit first, hiding it away from themselves, running their business off the remainder. And, and the last thing I want to share about this is it works with natural behavior. Our fundamental behavior, it's called Parkinson's law, for all of humanity is that we find ways to work with whatever is available to us. Meaning if, if I give you a, a small plate of food for your dinner, that's what you'll eat. If I give you a large plate of food, chances are you're gonna eat more because there's more food served in front of you. You work with what's made in front of you. 
when uh, you know uh, the toilet room, the bathroom, uh, the toilet paper. If there's a full roll of toilet paper versus just a few sheets left, people accomplish the same job, <laughs> but but they will use far more when there's a full roll available. And this is true in all aspects in life, but most importantly, when it comes to profitability, this applies to our management of cash. When money comes into a business, most entrepreneurs, most business owners, resort to look at what their bank balance is and then make a determination based upon that balance. And if we see a $10,000 deposit come in, we say to ourselves, oh, I got $10,000 to help grow my business. And we pay bills and we, we invest in equipment and stuff like that. But if instead, there was only say $7,000, a $10,000 deposit comes in, but we take you know 30% of it, we'll say, hide it away and there's only $7,000, we'll look at it and say, oh, I have $7,000 and we'll pay our bills and we'll buy less equipment and we'll do fewer things. We'll become more innovative and absolutely, if we can't pay our bills, we'll become more frugal. And so just by taking your profit first and hiding it from yourself, your mindset subconsciously changes to work or make do with what we have available to us. Which is exactly how most architects, small firm architects, are working anyway. I mean, not the not yeah. pro, not profit part, but you know, they're not getting enough money coming in to pay the right. bills. Um, right. And, but they're surviving and they're doing what they need to do to to make it happen. Because I, I can hear the 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 questions coming from the other end of our podcast here. Well, I don't have enough money for profit. I'm yeah, barely exactly. scraping so this, by. This is stupid. How so, could this ever work? So how what, how do you respond to to somebody like that? Where I I I already don't have enough. How can I possibly take some and put it away and not touch it? Yeah, and you you basically already answered it with, you are scraping by right now, you are making do with what you have. Um, but what if it was more money? You would still scrape by, because there was a time it was less money. When you first started out, you had even less money come in, but you still scrape by. The scraping by is human nature. Most people live check by check. It's, it's called Parkinson's law. The more that's put in front of us, the more we naturally consume it. It's subconscious, we don't even notice it. So by taking the money off the table first, you're gonna to continue to scrape by. But now you've reserved profit and hid it from yourself. And there's proof of this. It's not like I'm like, oh, this, this is a theory. The greatest savings mechanism in US history has been the 401k. And the 401k is a forced savings plan. Employees that, that benefit from a 401k get a what's called a gross check. So say I get a gross payment of $1,000 a week. That's what I get paid for my work, $1,000. But then it gets netted out. The 401k, say 10% of that, $100 is reserved away every week. And then, of course, taxes are taken out in advance. So then my net check may be $600. But my lifestyle then adjusts to live off $600. I never even think about the $1,000, even though I'm earning $1,000. And this is the exact same principle. Maybe your deposit's $1,000, but we're gonna take that 401k profit away first, we're gonna take the taxes out first, and then you will adjust your lifestyle, your business lifestyle, to live off the remainder. And some people still can't comprehend this. When when you take your profit first, I mean, you wanna have a profitable business, this is why we started this from the beginning. When you take your profit first and there's not enough money left to pay your bills, that doesn't mean there's not enough left money money left to pay your bills. That is your business giving you direct feedback that you're running your business inefficiently. You should never have been incurring these bills from the get-go. Find a new way, become more frugal, become more innovative, change things around. I, I did this for myself. This may be a good story because it relates to this. I'm a co-owner today in a manufacturing business in St. Louis. Actually, I'm, I'm flying out there next week. I go out there once a quarter and uh, we implemented Profit First for our own business. Now. I've been a co-owner in this business for 10 years now, or eight years, and uh, the business, 
part of being a manufacturer of leather products, you need to get what's called a clicker press. These things cost $20,000 for a used one, $50,000 isn't too abnormal, and they put down tons of pressure to mold and cut out formations in leather. Well, when we started doing profit first, we started taking our profit first, we said, we're never gonna have enough money to afford even a lease for one of these pieces of equipment. So clearly, profit first doesn't work. That was our first response. And we said, well, hold on, let's, let's give this a shot. Maybe it does work even for manufacturing. And so what we did is we said, well, we have a few dollars, let's take our few dollars and go to the local Home Depot and shop around with a few dollars and see what we can get that may help us uh, resolve the situation of not having a clicker press. And we bought, well, I remember we bought a microwave oven, we bought uh, <laughs> we all these different things, and we came back with it. And, and I'll tell you, uh, uh, what doesn't work, but I'm not gonna tell you what does work because we now have a proprietary system. What does not work is do not microwave leather. Leather will turn into like basically flubber. Uh, but there is a way to apply heat, super heat to leather very quickly and do it extremely economically for a few hundred dollars of parts and apply a mold to it that formally required a press to do it. So we can apply a mold with super heat and a, a hand vise less than a few hundred dollars of parts where our competition still uses the traditional presses and they pay a massive premium for it. But I'll tell you this, we would have never found that innovation if we said, oh, uh, you know, I'm surviving check by check already, I can't take any profit. No, take the profit out first, it will force your mind to think differently, more frugally, and more importantly, more innovatively. That's a great story. So so, so if we're not making enough money, we need to make more money, right? Right. <laughs> we have, right. And, and by taking profit first, it'll force us to be more innovative, to, to go out to, to feel that pain and say, okay, well, I have to resolve this pain and go get more jobs or, or provide a new, new services, however you need to do it to make more money come in through the door in order to be able to take that profit and put it away. And we're, and we're, you know, it's, go ahead. It was funny. I was talking to a guy about online marketing just yesterday, and this kind of triggered this thought. Uh, if, if I gave him a budget of $100 to figure out the online marketing that's going to work, or if I gave him a budget of a million dollars, where do you think he'll be more efficient finding the online marketing that works? You know, when you have less money, you have to find it. He'll feel the pain immediately. He spends a $50 on a Facebook ad. He's like, ooh, uh, the Facebook ad didn't work. I only have 50 bucks left. Uh, let's try Google AdWords or whatever the online marketing is. If I give you a million dollars, oh, you know, we spent $50,000 on Facebook. It's not working yet. Let's just keep burning some money there and try out 10 or 20 different things. The less money you have, the more acute the pain is, the faster. And the faster, the more acute the pain is, the more responsive we are to it. Now, I, I realize once it's working uh, and you find traction, $100 isn't going to get you there. But the whole idea of taking your profit first is to find the things that do bring profitability and get rid of the things that don't. And then when you things, find the things that bring profitability, that is where you put your money because it brings profitability and it starts growing more and more profits. And even if you start with just $100, you're creating a habit, right? You're, exactly. You're, you're focusing on that behavior because that's what's going to make it successful is that it becomes something you do automatically, maybe right. even technically automatically where your bank account, your, your bank may take it and automatically deposit it in another account so you don't even see it. Yep. You know, so as soon as the account comes in, you have $100 a month removed or, no, it's actually not per month, right? It's per, it's per payment. Whatever yeah, per, you get well, payment. you can do it per payment, right? So you can do it every single time a deposit comes in, you can be doing this allocation. And maybe to get started, that's a good idea. Many businesses that we implemented in, in, we get into a rhythm because you know you may have a couple of deposits come in a day. 
it's too much back and forth, these allocations. So right. what we do is we tell people get into a rhythm, usually semi-monthly, meaning twice every two weeks or so. As money comes in, let the money accumulate into your checking account. Then on a specific date, all that money in the checking account gets depleted to zero, and we allocate money out to profit and also other purposes that we didn't dig into yet, but profit is the primary one, and to other purposes. Then whatever's left over for operating expenses, that's what you gotta run your business off of. You let the money accumulate again in your checking account. After another couple of weeks, you allocate out to profit and other accounts, and then whatever's left in operating expenses, that's what you gotta run your business off of. So you wanna get into that rhythm. Hey, let's take a quick break here to say thank you to two of our platform sponsors here at Entree Architect, True Style Doors and Tanglewood Conservatories. Because as platform sponsors, these companies provide funding and support for our overall mission here to become an influential force in this profession of architecture for small firms, for you and me. They recognize the need for us small firms to build better businesses in order to be better architects. And both of these companies, they are run by great people. I've met them. They're passionate about their products and they want to share their knowledge with you. So go check them out and let them know that Entree Architect sent you. First off is TrueStyle. Have you, have you specified TrueStyle doors yet? Have you gone to their site at TrueStyle.com? You need to see these doors. If you are tired of getting callbacks from your clients saying that the doors have warped or that the, that the, the joints have split and the paint is, is showing the bare wood, TrueStyle doors, that doesn't happen. Over 400 made-to-order styles, TrueStyle offers premium MDF doors for painted application, and they have 20 standard species of wood for pretty much any style that you want. If you can dream up a style, they'll make it for you. True Style, driven by design. Check them out at truestyle.com and start designing your doors today. True Style, driven by design. Visit True Style, that's True Style, T-R-U-S-T-I-L-E.com and start designing your doors today. And Tanglewood Conservatories. Tanglewood Conservatories. You have to check out these amazing structures. Tanglewood Conservatories. Custom designs and builds. Authentic residential and commercial conservatories. Those are glass structures. Inspired by the romanticism of the 19th century glass structures that we see in, in history books. But built with state-of-the-art technology and master craftsmanship. These are amazing. If you're interested in designing a pool enclosure, a gazebo, a greenhouse, or a light-filled space, a client is looking for the most unique light-filled space, check out Tanglewood Conservatories, and they will help you create that masterpiece. You can design it, and you can work with their designers. They'll build it for you. Amazing structures, Tanglewood Conservatories. Anything else is just another room. For more information, visit TanglewoodConservatories.com. TanglewoodConservatories.com. And let them know that Entree Architect sent you. What are those other things? Because we're talking about profit. And a lot of yeah. architects, they're pulling money out, they're calling it profit, and they're living right. on it personally. Right, which is You know, not that, that's their pay. That's not profit. That's no. your pay. <laughs> And yeah. so, so what are those other things other th so the first thing you do is profit and then there's yes. operating expenses at the bottom of the list. Yeah. What are the things between those two things? Uh, the owners pay, uh, 
and taxes are the other two primary ones. And for some businesses, we uh, even have additional things. So like a manufacturing business, we may put a materials or equipment purchasing account beyond just operating expenses. But let me tell you how each account works. I think that's the important part. Oh, and then one other account is called income. Uh, so the income account, I, I call it a serving tray. Thanks, we're recording this in Thanksgiving. It was just about a week ago. Uh, when the turkey was served and everyone oohed and odd at the golden turkey, I am convinced the host didn't say, oh, everyone, just just dive into the serving tray. Cut, cut off whatever you want. Just go for it. I suspect the host carved the turkey and then she apportioned it to every single plate. Uh, no one eats off the serving tray. It is simply displayed that way so it can be served to everybody. Well, that's what an income account does for you. Your income account, every time money comes in, it goes into, it's a checking account, but we're gonna label it or nickname it income. All the money goes into there and it simply acts as a serving tray. It's for display purposes only. You never pay a single bill out of there. You don't take anything out of there. You just let the money accumulate. Then on a periodic basis, once every two weeks, we'll say, you allocate the money out based upon predetermined percentages to the other four accounts. First account's profit. Now, just so we're clear on what profit is, Profit is a reward for the equity owners and having equity in the business. It is a celebratory uh, uh, account effectively. That money that comes out is a distribution for your celebratory purposes, celebration. J just like if you own stock in Ford, like I own stock in Ford, they sent a check to me for my, uh, the quarterly distribution for like 12, it was literally about $12. But when I got that check, I didn't hold that check and say, oh, um, I should, I should give this back to Ford so they can run more efficiently and maybe the management team can benefit from that. I'm like, no, I'm an equity owner in this company. I own shares. This money is for me to have some fun with. So I went out to Starbucks on Ford. Well, <laughs> that money, you're an equity owner in your business. So that profit, when it comes out, that is a reward for you investing in this business, having the courage to take the risk to start this thing. Celebrate with that. Go, you know, if it's a few hundred dollars, it's a great dinner out. If it's a few thousand dollars, maybe you're heading on a vacation. Do whatever rewards you that you get joy out of. But the one thing you cannot do with it is put it back in the business. You cannot plow back, reinvest. You can't use any of those fancy schmancy terms because that money, if you use it in that case, is simply a deferred expense. You're just saying, well, I called it profit, but now it goes back in the business. No, that's an expense. Second account's called owner's pay. I don't care if your architectural firm is a, a, an operation of one or an operation of 100 or anywhere in between. The most important employee at any firm is inevitably the owner operator. That's that's you, the person that runs the business. I'm sure you work ridiculous hours. I'm sure you work for holiday through holidays. I'm sure you've even sacrificed time with your family to keep this business running, and you've done it for no pay at times. That's the definition of the greatest employee. If I can get an employee to work that hard for my company and do for no pay, I want them. That's how valuable and important you are. And we have to start paying you like you truly are the best employee, because you are. So we're gonna allocate another percentage to owner's pay. That's the money that's allocated to support your lifestyle. So when that money comes out, you take your pay every two weeks or whatever out of that allocation. That's what you live your lifestyle off of. You don't go above that. You don't use credit cards. You don't go beyond that. The only time you're going to go beyond that is when your profit distribution comes out. That's your celebratory account. You celebrate and go hog wild with that. Next account is called tax. This is reserving taxes for your both your corporate tax responsibility, but more importantly, your personal tax responsibilities. You know, April 15th comes around and then the panic ensues. Oh, my God, I owe some more taxes. Where am I going to find it? And it comes out of our own pocket. 
if we start our business to do what we love and for financial freedom, our business should be paying our taxes for us. So that tax account, we're going to reserve money to pay your taxes. Your business literally is going to pay your taxes. So when that quarterly estimates do, the company will cut the check. If you own an S corp or C corp or a corporation where you have to have it withdrawn from your actual paycheck, then the company on a quarterly basis will reimburse you for your taxes. It will still pay your taxes. It'll just reimburse you. And then the final fifth account is operating expenses. That's what you run your business off of. Everything. You run your entire business off of that. So literally now $1,000 comes in, maybe 10% goes to profit. That's 100 bucks. Maybe 30% as an owner goes to you. So that's 300 bucks going to pay you. Maybe another 10% goes to taxes. So now left over is only 50%. So when $1,000 comes in, you don't have $1,000 to run your business. You transfer money over. You see in your operating expenses, you have $500 to run your business, and you must run your business off those $500. That, that is a great system, and it's so simple, right? So just, simple, yeah. Just just open these four or five accounts. That's it. And every and make it part of your schedule. Get it on your calendar that this is what when you do these these distributions, um, and do it and just right. Get, and, it, and it's aligned with your behavior. So most people, I got my iPhone here, so I know we're doing audio, but I'm holding my iPhone up. When I log into my bank account now, like I always did this. This is my natural behavior is log in my bank account, see did that deposit come in? Do I have any money? Right. Yep. Now I log in and I have all these accounts set up. I instantly know where I stand. I log in and say, oh, okay, there's my bank balance. I know instantly. So the beautiful thing is we have to change our behavior. And that's the problem I have with Gap. I'm not saying Gap's a bad system. It's a bad behavioral system. I think we still need to rely on the income statement and balance sheet and all that stuff. When this system, the profit first system I told you, when you see an anomaly, when you see that the income has dropped a lot and, uh, and there's an issue, or you see that you can't pay your bills consistently, that's when you got to dig into these reports with your accountant. But the beautiful thing about Profit First is you don't have to change who you are. You don't have to know how to read those statements. You don't have to do any of that stuff. All you do is do what you've always been doing. Log into your bank account, see your balances, but now that's allocated to these different sections, these different plates. Now you know what money's available for what purpose. And the rule is you only use that money for that purpose. And, and so many of us architects, we, we haven't been trained in business. You know, right. we, we don't know how to do this. And right. we, we, we only know what our accountants and our bookkeepers are telling us. We're overwhelmed by this. So I love yeah. that this is a, an easy system, even if it's not the perfect system. And, and maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But at least it's, a, it's, an, it's an easy system to follow. You know, right. Because you may, you may say to your accountant, well, this is how I'm going to do this. And they're going to be like, oh, you're crazy. This is, this is not the way accounting works. Right. But it's, it's better than no system. <laughs> I hear that all the time. So that's one of the first challenges that you're going to get. If you set up this system and you tell your accountant, I set up five accounts now to manage my money, <clears throat> your accountant's going to look at you and say, like a deer in headlights and say, what? That This is not how accounting works. Let me tell you what you should be doing. Read your income statement. Tie into your balance sheet, your cash flow statement. Tie that back to your KPIs, key performance indicators. Tie into a budget. Run the metrics, OCR, inventory turn, all these things. You'll know where you stand. Right. But then- you tell your accountant, okay, you tell me that, but I don't do it. Do your clients do it? Well, uh, you know, no one really does it. Well, yeah, but that, that's a sign of a bad system. If, it, if no one's doing it, I don't care how wonderful the results could be. Right. If no one's applying it, it stinks. It stinks. Uh, you know, it's funny. I was, I was watching a speech yesterday uh, from a four-star general, 
and he, he's talking about the changing of the military. In the military, he said, you used to literally be rewarded for checking things off a list. And he goes, people would go into battle plans, and even if they lost a battle, if they got all the checks off, that they were, were being awarded for that. He goes, that's absurd. He goes, the goal of a battle is to win. And I don't care if you win in some atypical, never been done before, shot off you know, uh, from your hip kind of approach. If you won, that's the end objective. So the end objective is not that we have a system that complies with GAP and that your accountant's all thrilled about. My goal here is to make you money, a profit. And, and here's the final thing. If, if your accountant says, this won't work, you know, you just do what I tell you to do, come back at him like I did with my accountant who I no longer work with. I was a little snarky. <laughs> I was a little snarky. But I said to my accountant, I said, okay, I'm saying I'm gonna do profit first. You're saying it's not gonna work for me. Let me ask you, the goal is here to be more profitable. You say your system works. How many of your clients are profitable? And your client, your account will respond, probably like mine did, with silence. I said, well, you know, I assume you tell everyone to do this, that 80, 90% of your clients are consistently profitable. Silence. I said, his name's Bob. I said, Bob, is it 50? Silence. 20, 10? Less than 10% of his clients are profitable. So adhering to a system that doesn't bring consistent profitability is, is, is insane. Accountants and bookkeepers, the traditional ones, have been trained on this. You and I have been trained on this. If you went to any accounting classes, anything, we've all been told sales minus expenses equals profit. But the, the, the proof is in the pudding. SBA conducted a study, 83% of businesses are not profitable. So therefore, that formula is wrong. Sales minus expenses does not equal profit, at least for 83% of people. So if you're not consistently profitable, it's time to start, to start taking your profit first. Yeah, amen. And, and I, <laughs> Wait, I, mean, I was getting a little pre, I was getting a little preachy there. <laughs> That's fine. I'm I'm uh, I'm 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 in your uh, in your parish. The, um, the the all of this information. I know there's a lot of information we're we're sending out there. It's all going to be on the show notes. This is episode 147. So entrearchitect.com/episode147. It'll all be there. Uh, I want to just get before we wrap up. I want to get into the new book because the new book is called Surge. Mm -hmm. Yes. And it sort of gets into another thing I talk about all the time here at Entree Architect Podcast is markets. Yes. Um, and, yes. and architects, much like profit, and many architects are not even focused on profit, many are not focused on their, their market. They, right. they, they sort of want to be generalists. They want to do everything. Yes. And, yes. and I haven't read Surge yet, but I've, I looked at what it's about. And I'd love yeah. for you to just really briefly talk about that and what it is. Yeah, so Surge is a process to basically catching market momentum. Uh, I got a call from a reader who read my other books and said, I love your books, but, and that's the worst thing. As an author, the worst thing to hear is when you hear that but. And uh, he said, or it was actually she, she said, um, all strategies go out the window if you're not in the right place at the right time. H how do you time the market? So that in inspired me to start studying this. I spent five years studying it. Um, and it subsequently became the book. And what I found is no one can nail this perfectly. Uh, we can't time markets. In hindsight, it looks like some people nailed it perfectly, but there was some guesstimate going on. But while we can't nail it perfectly, we can definitely radically improve the odds. And I found there's five key elements to improving the odds. Surge actually is an acronym for these key elements. First is S stands for separate. You gotta separate out a community. Do not be a generalist, just as you said. Pick a specific community. Architectural design for, say, uh, the Hasidic Jewish community is, I suspect, radically, can be radically different than uh, a, uh, a, a the Catholic community. 
they're going to have different design requirements. And if you can speak the language of the community, you understand their needs and you can anticipate what they have, that's going to resonate with them. They're going to connect with you and say, you get us. So you have to pick your community. And I just picked religion. I'm not saying it's, it's religion based. It may be uh, the gay community. It may be young family community. Uh, it could be the extremely affluent that are buying their second homes and their homes are really used for guests. All different kind of considerations go into it. But if you stay at that community, the community will talk about you and you'll understand their specific needs and be able to anticipate them. Next stage is called unify. Um, as you go after a community, you have to cater to their needs, but you also must stay in alignment with, with who you are. There's this term called pivot that's been popular re in recent years that says adjust to what your customer wants, which makes sense until you adjust what your customer wants, but you don't want. That's when we start resenting our business. We do what makes us money, but we hate doing what we do. That's, that's no life to live. So we need to unify our needs, our vision with the community that we're serving. And where you align those two, that's where magic happens. So don't pivot, align. Third step is, is R, stands for rally cry. What's that greater purpose or mission you're serving? People do not hire you for what you do. They hire you for who you are. At the end of the day, there's many great architects out there, but you have the unique advantage in the fact that you are unique. It's that personality. It's that greater purpose that you're serving. So it's not that you're just making a room for someone. You're, you're making a room that's going to have a certain impact on someone. Talk about that impact, the purpose of what you're doing. You want people to feel inspired. You want to feel, people to feel contemplative. Or I don't know what the things are, but you want to invoke an emotion. That's your rally cry. And speak to that. And speak to that. That gets your client base rallying around you. They won't say we hire an architect anymore. They're going to say we hire someone that brought inspiration to our lives. That is someone that's going to get dictated premium, and that's going to be someone that gets talked about. Uh, two more steps. G stands for gather. As you start catching momentum in the market, you separate out a community. You've unified with their needs and yours. You now have a rally cry, something that they're talking about. You will catch momentum. You'll start growing faster in this community. Thing is, the needs of that community may change, uh, one, or, or may be different than you initially ex expected. When I started, uh, I'm sorry, it, it, as a story, if you and I, Mark, were crossing the desert dying of thirst, and all of a sudden we see someone that's selling water, uh, muddy water, e even though it's muddy water, we're gonna chug that down. Now, the, the problem is the vendor selling that water is gonna have a belief that muddy water is what people want. And he would be a fool to say, I gotta sell more muddy water. I should have thought of that from day one. Because the day someone introduces clean water, that person's gonna take over the business. So you must constantly gather from your existing clients, knowledge, what they want, and improve your offering. And then the final stage is E for expand. And the expansion phase only happens once you've separated out a community, you have all those other elements going on. Once you've mastered it and you are experiencing stratospheric growth for many service-based organizations like architects this is when you surpass about 10 million dollars in revenue only at that point do you do this next stage is you then look at that community you are serving and try to find their clones out there uh, in the book i talk about ug and the reason i like to use a big name like that is because everyone recognizes that brand name ug was originally designed for surfers that boot was made for surfers only after uh, Brian Smith, the founder, was doing well over $10 million in the surfing community with his Ugg boots did he go after hockey players who also had cold, wet feet. 
He went after skiers, cold, wet feet, other niches, hunters, and so forth. And only after now is doing about 200 million in revenue, they say, I'm going to go after arguably the most competitive cutthroat community in the world, teenage girls, and he hit in that community. So don't become a generalist, become a specialist, and only when you achieve this stratosphere growth do you start cloning out what's working successfully for you. Ah, so much knowledge. I, I, I can't wait to to read this one. I, uh, I gotta get through my Hamilton, and then I'm on to Surge. Um, really, really excited. Very, awesome. um, Mike, thank you very much for being here today. I really appreciate you uh, sharing your knowledge. Oh, Mark, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, your your website is mikemichalowitz.com. The yeah, which which uh, well, I'll give you a little shortcut because I know it's a doozy to spell. By okay. the way, yep. uh, Mike Motorbike. That was my nickname in high school. It's type in mikemotorbike.com. Right. That'll bring you to Mike Michalowicz. So go to mikemotorbike.com. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the easy shortcut. Yeah. Okay, so mikemotorbike.com or <laughs> entrearchitect.com. Episode one hundred forty-seven will also have all the links there. Um, the uh, Actually, at Mike Michalowicz, you have your you have a blog. You do podcasts as well, right? You have two yep. podcasts going now. I right? do. I do. Um, you can purchase all the books, so there's links to all the books there. You can watch some videos, including a TEDx, a Hoboken TEDx uh, yep. session there, uh, and a whole page of free resources. I, too many to count. Yeah, um, tons of stuff. I used to write for the Wall Street Journal, so people that sign up on my website get all the articles. It's only for subscribers to the Wall Street Journal, but since I'm the author, I, I have permission from Wall Street Journal to distribute it. There's, I think, 15 or 20 articles uh, available, uh, which I, I would argue is my best. Some of my best work is actually those articles. Good, good stuff. So, MikeMotorbike.com. Yeah, <laughs> grab all that, um, and on social media, Mike Michalowicz everywhere: Facebook, Twitter, wherever else uh, you might want to look for him. Uh, Mike Michalowicz is there. Uh, before we wrap up, I have one question that I ask all my guests. And, yeah. and it's sort of a, a, a quick little thing that somebody can, the question is, what is one thing a small firm architect can do today that can build a better business for tomorrow? Okay, so uh, I'll give you a little hint with the profit first because we, we talked about yeah. that so extensively. Is I, The system we've laid out I know can feel overwhelming and so therefore many people hear the system say, yeah, I think that would work but then never do it. Uh, start very s small, lower the bar. So here's the one thing, don't set up the five accounts today, don't do any of that, just set up one new account today and nickname it profit. And then allocate 1% of every deposit to profit. It's such a small number that if I'm saying now $1,000 comes in, we're taking 10 bucks and we're gonna put it into a profit account. You won't feel the difference. You can run the business the way you've always been running it. And if you're surviving check by check, you know, 1%, 10 bucks, you won't feel that being taken aside. Keep doing this. But what will happen is you won't become rich overnight. Your confidence will start to explode overnight because you'll see that you can pre-allocate money toward profit. And down the road, maybe a few months from now, then go to 2% and 3% and build up. But start slowly, but definitely start. Excellent. Very good advice. Mike, thanks for sharing your knowledge here today at Entree Architect Podcast. Oh, it's been a joy. Thanks, Mark. Complete show notes and a direct link to download this episode will be found at entrearchitect.com dot com slash episode 147 and we'll have all the links of everything that mike and i talked about today don't forget don't forget to visit our website entrearchitect.com there's so much there but right there on the homepage is a free course just for you profit for small firm architects 
sign up at entrearchitect.com right there on the homepage. Hundreds of architects have already taken this course. It's a great place to get started building a better business. And it's free. Right there on the homepage, entrearchitect.com. My name is Mark Arlapage, and I am an entrepreneur architect, and I encourage you to build a better business so you can be a better architect. Build a better business so you can be a better architect. Love, learn, share what you know. Thanks for listening and have a great week. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us. Can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected 
annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is going to be a priority. When the job is done, we're going to actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> and so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.